the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. The Gospel of the Lord. Dear Lord, we welcome your presence with us. We are thankful that you are here. We pray, Lord, you would shine your light upon us. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. And you can be seated. Thank you all for being with us uh, for this Christmas Eve celebration. My name is Christian. I'm a pastor here, and I'm very um, thankful uh, to be able to welcome you and share some of Christmas Eve with you. If you are a guest with us tonight, just know, again, how um, thankful we are, honored we are that you'd spend part of your Christmas Eve um, here. I hope as you feel uh, very welcomed um, here. And just know if you don't um, have a church home and are looking for a church home, we would love for you to come back, visit again with us on a Sunday morning. And just note, names of the staff are um, on the back page of this bulletin. And if you have questions about the service, want to get to know more about our church, um, send us a note. We would love to, to talk more with you. Uh, So this fall, I uh, read a book, um, a novel, and it had this uh, moment, this sort of um, uh, interaction in it um, that I want to share with you. It involves one of the characters in the novel is um, walking past a church, and he sees the dumpster outside the church, and it is full of Bibles. And he is surprised, right, to see a church throwing away a huge amount of Bibles. So he goes in, he finds the pastor, he's so curious, and he asks the pastor, why would you guys throw away a bunch of Bibles? You're, you're a church. Why would you be getting rid of Bibles? And the pastor explains to me, he said, well, those Bibles we ordered, but then after we had received them, we found out that there was a mistake in the printing. And this mistake was significant enough that we need to get rid of all these Bibles and, and order new ones. And the guy is fascinated by this. He says, well, what was the mistake, right? What mistake would be so significant that you'd have to get rid of all the Bibles? And the pastor says, well, I can't tell you. He says, I, I can't tell you because actually we found out when we found the mistake that it had been put there on purpose by the printer. Apparently this printer had had a very negative interaction with Christians earlier in his life. 
He held this deep grudge towards the Christian faith, towards the church. And so when he got this order to print Bibles for a church, he decided that he would seek revenge against the church by adding this mistake. So he said, so I don't, I don't want to tell you what it is because it was, a, again, an attack against the church and a way to undermine our faith. Well, the man is so curious that he goes outside, he takes one of the Bibles out of the dumpster and he brings it home with him and begins to read the Bible. Because he's like, I got to find out what this mistake is. And so every night he'll read a section of the Bible and this goes on for months and months as he continues to seek out what the mistake is. He gets to the very end of the scriptures, gets to the book of Revelation, to the very end of the book of Revelation, the final book of the Bible, he's thinking, I'll never find this mistake. And then he sees it at the very end. The printer had added one more verse to the very end of the book of Revelation. And the final verse was this, and they all lived happily ever after. <laughs> so this printer, right, in order to sort of get a dig in at the church, had basically put one verse to say, it's all made up. It's all a fairy tale. And maybe we hear that and we think, well, okay, that's kind of mean, um, but is that really undermining the faith, right? Is that really such a significant attack? Does it really matter that much, right? If we say everything in here is factually true, is historically true, could we just say, look, it's true in the message that it sends. It's true, right, in the ideas that are there. Actually, I'm reading a novel right now, and this was just a, a line in the novel from a couple days ago when I was reading it, where one of the characters says, fiction is the great lie that tells the truth about how the world lives. And can we say, right, whether it's fiction or not, the, the important thing is it's telling the truth about how the world lives. And maybe when we consider the Christmas story, which we just heard read from, from Luke 2, maybe we'd say, look, there's all sorts of beautiful truths in that. And there was no room for them in the end. We can hear that and we can think, what a, what a light that shines on, how, on the way we live, right? We're always so busy, right? Things are so packed full in our lives then we miss out on what's really important. Just like, right, those inns were full and didn't let the Holy Family, didn't let Jesus in, so our lives are often very full. And we don't let what is true and beautiful and good into our lives. Right? Or we consider baby Jesus being laid in a manger. And we can think, here's the greatest person who's ever lived. Right? And at his birth, he's laid in a feeding trough for animals. And we can say, right, that teaches me I shouldn't be so concerned about being impressive. I shouldn't be so quick to judge people by the outside look, right? What's inside is truly important. Or maybe we think about those shepherds. If you know the sort of the, the history and all the Christmas story, you may know that shepherds at that time were on the lowest sort of level of society, right? People basically viewed shepherds with a lot of contempt. And the fact, right, that the angels would be sent to the shepherds, that the shepherds would be the ones invited, come and see the newborn king, Right, tells us right, that all people are worthy of honor. All people are worthy of respect. And those right, that society says, don't pay attention to them, God says, no, I pay attention to them. And all those, right, those are beautiful truths, and all those are things that we can take to heart on this Christmas. But I would suggest that at the core of the Christmas story is this truth from verse 11 of chapter 2 of the Gospel of Luke. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The Savior, the promised Messiah, the one who will save you, save you from your sins, right? That's what the name Jesus means, has come in the flesh. And he is the Lord. 
He is the Son of God. He is God in the flesh, and he has come. And notice what it says, for unto you is born this day. He has come for you, for the people he has come. That, again, is the core of the message. And this message is given Christ has come in this historical account. And notice in Luke's account, right, notice all the proper names. Right? It's not printed out in your bulletin, but you just heard it, right? It's a familiar story. In the, day, the, the days of Caesar Augustus, right? Registration when Cornelius was governor of Syria, right? We have Nazareth, we have Galilee, we have Judea, we have Bethlehem mentioned, we have Mary, we have Joseph, and right? we have all these proper names, right? Luke is being very clear here. This is a moment rooted in history. Right? We can look up Caesar Augustus right, in history books, and we can figure out when this happened. We can find Nazareth right, and Bethlehem on maps. This is a real place, a real time when this took place. Now, there's actually a contrast we have with our Luke reading and then our John reading. Right? Luke begins in the days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus. Right? He roots in a specific time. Our John reading begins in the beginning. Right? He's rooting that right in the creation story. We hear in the beginning, right? We think to Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And John is saying before creation, before anything was created, Jesus was. In the beginning was the word. He is the uncreated one. And so he's giving us a universal picture, right? If Luke is very specific and focused, right? John sort of pulls the focus out and saying, before there was anything, the word was. Right? And John is very specific in using the word, word, to speak about Jesus. As you may have heard, right, that's a, a word comes from the Greek word logos. And logos at that time was used in different ways. Right? Some philosophies used the term logos to speak about a grand sort of unifying principle, the thing that holds all reality together. We could say it's the meaning of life, logos. Right? Others would use logos to speak about rationality, right, of clear thinking, of, of discernment. Right, another, right, faith used logos to speak of God. And John is saying in the beginning was the word, in the beginning was the logos. He is saying Jesus, he's all those things. Right, he is rationality. He is truth. He is the meaning of life. He is the one who holds all things together. He is God in the flesh. He is the light and life of man, of man and women, of humanity. Right, grace upon grace comes from him. And so again, we have this huge universal picture of who Jesus is. But in John's gospel as well, he roots in in history. Because suddenly, right, he's talking about this guy, John. We may say, who's this John? Is that the John who's writing this John? <laughs> right? No, it's another John. It's John the Baptist. He's saying, you remember John the Baptist, right? He was very well known. He was famous at that time. He was saying, John the Baptist was a witness to the word. And then he says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory. So he's saying, I saw him. At this one who has always been, who always will be, the one who holds everything together, the one through whom all things were created, I actually saw him in the flesh. In the book of 1 John, which is a, a, a letter later in the New Testament written by this same John, he says, the one who came, we saw him with our eyes. We touched him with our hands. Right? This is real. That's the message, again, of John. Even as he gives this beautiful picture, this universal picture of who Jesus is, he's saying there was a specific moment where he came, and we saw him and interacted with him in the flesh. If you imagine, um, tomorrow morning, Christmas morning, I'm with my family, we're opening our presents, and I say to my wife, Molly, for Christmas, I gave, I'm giving you a trip to Paris. 
Say, you know, here's where we're going to go. Here's the museums we're going to see. She'd already have a list of the museums we're going to see. Uh, uh, here are the, the pieces of art we're going to see. Here's the food we're going to eat. Here's where we're going to stay. Right? I lay out this beautiful story, right, of our trip to Paris. And then she says, that is awesome. Like, when are we going? I say, oh, no, no, you misunderstood. My gift is actually telling you about a trip to Paris. We're not actually going to Paris. Right? And that's the gift, right? It's the, the fiction, right? It's the, the lie that reveals the truth, right? Isn't that beautiful? She said, no, no, no. The way you presented the gift, as if, it was as if it's really going to happen. Right? You presented this as an actuality, as a fact. And to present something as a fact and then to say, well, no, it's not really true. It's the meaning that's important. The, the facts aren't important. It really would be a mean trick. Like John, Luke, right? the, the dis early disciples of Jesus, right? the first eyewitnesses of the resurrection of Jesus said, this is true. And the Lord came in the flesh. He is the Son of God. Matter of fact, they were so convinced of this truth. They were so um, sure of what they saw and experienced that when they were given the choice to deny that truth or go to the death, which many of them did, they said, no, we will never deny this truth. How can we tell a lie and say, right, that this was just a made-up story that's just nice to think of a Messiah? No, he really came in the flesh. There's a, a phrase sometimes that theologians will use. They talk about the scandal of particularity, right? A great phrase, right? The scandal of particularity. I encourage you, try to work that into a conversation tomorrow on Christmas, right? Try to figure out, how can I bring in the scandal of particularity? Because right? basically what it says, and it's, it's clear from the title, is it is scandalous to say that God became flesh, that the Messiah, the Savior of the whole world, came at a particular time, in a particular way, to a particular people. But that's scandalous. Right? If we stop back and think about it, of course we'd say, of course it is. Of all the people in all the world, of all the times, he came at this specific time, this one moment, is when God came in the flesh. What about all those who were before this? Right? What about all the people in the world at that time? What about us? Maybe we hear the story and we think, why don't I get to see angels right, announcing the birth of Jesus? That seems unfair. It seems scandalous. But if we think about it, and we think if God is going to come in the flesh to real people, to real places in a real moment, it has to be particular. That's the only way. Actually, when we think about the scandal particularity, it's a beautiful truth. <coughs> I almost made it through the message without coughing. Because we live in a particular way. We live in a particular place at a particular time. Maybe sometimes you think about the needs of the world. You think about the crises in the world. You think about all the people that are praying to God, all the people that are seeking him, and you think, why would God care about my prayers? Why would he be concerned about my sin? Why would he be concerned, right, about my joy and my family and my desires? Right? You can think, God's God, right? He's so huge. Why would the little things in my life matter? And then we remember, wait a second, he came at a specific time to a specific people, to a specific place. He cares about the particulars. God is a God of universality, of all things, and he is the Lord of the particular. He is the Lord who came, right, and comes into our lives in a very specific way. And this is a season, right, of peace and joy and love and hope. But it's a season, right, where the Lord cares about your peace and your joy, your love, right, your hope. He came for the sins of the world. He came for your particular sins. 
He came to be present to his people, and he came to be present in particular, right, to you, even at this very moment. So let's give thanks, right, to the God of all who we can know in our particularities. Let's pray. Lord, I do pray that you would bring your peace, your joy, your hope, your love, your grace to all of us gathered here. Lord, as we consider the miracle of your birth, we thank you, Lord, that through your spirit, you are present and you are with us. Shine your light upon us, Lord. May we receive that light. May it shine out through us, we ask. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.